This is a podcast from Craft Beer Radio. Episode number 315. Recorded on December 27th, 2014. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio, brought to you by Mel Mel Kemp. I just figured it'd be funny to do a serial theme. <laughs> Why not, right? Yes. So we have actually a couple battles going on today in it's terms of our battle royale. We have um, two. This is kind of what brought the idea. We actually have two chocolate orange beers. Mm-hmm. We have. Two wheat beers, and we got two IPAs, and uh, yeah, and uh, we're gonna do that. So let's start with wheat beers. What do you say? It sounds like a good idea, like because that's gonna be probably where it's gonna be less intense stuff going on. Right. So a little bit more open. All right. So the first beer of the night is gonna be the Schnickelfritz. The Schnickelfritz. This is from Urban Chestnut. This is part of their Reverent series. It is 4.6% alcohol by volume. The hops that are used are Hillertau Puri and Hillertau Mercure. So two different Hillertau varieties. Malts that are used are European Wheat, European Carahel, and European Pilsner. Yeah, so Urban Chestnut is in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, you may remember, if you're a long-time listener of the show, that we've interviewed or talked with Florian Coupland, who used to be at Anheuser-Busch. And uh, we actually did that tour at Urban Chestnut. Did we record anything from that? No, no, I don't believe so. Yeah, we were out in St. Louis last year. We went to Urban Chestnut, and uh, Florian wasn't there, but he had to tour the brewery. And uh, so he quit Anheuser Bush to start his own place, and this is one of the beers. We did their beers a couple weeks ago, too. Okay, so the beer comes in a um, half-liter, 500-milliliter bottle, and I guess we're probably going to have to probably pour the whole thing, get all the yeast and I everything, think so. right? So we, I just poured like a normal sample size, but I just realized this is a wheat beer, kind of clear. So I'm going to kind of roll the bottle here and get some yeast mixed up in it. And yeah, this is a half a, so you want to get those yeasts in there. The half a does, in fact, mean yeast. Get a little bit more there, and I'll top it off. Right, or does half a mean width and vitamins? Uh, mean um, yeast. Hefe uh, means yeast. Hefe means yeast. Yes, yes right. Because there's crystal wheat. Weizen means wheat. So you have crystal Weizen, which are clear, and Hefe means yeast. Yeah. All right. So the beer pours nice and cloudy, as you'd expect. The it's color. Mit. I'm sorry. You're, I keep, yeah, you're thinking of Mithef. Yes. With yeast. Um. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of color here. It's kind of a. Mix. It's a cross between a golden and a straw. It's a little, so it's not quite as saturated as you would normally call golden. What kind of temperatures are we getting here? Um, do you see the? I Go. don't see it. Huh. So I don't know. Oh, you know, I think I have it out in the other room. I'll grab it All after right. this beer. So, um, you know, it it's uh technically, I don't know whether it's true or not for this, but usually, and not usually, but. I think that the Bavarian ones are typically lagered, but I'm not quite sure about that. 
I don't know if I'd say typically. I mean, we have had some that are kind of cold conditioned. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what lagering is, is cold conditioning. Well, lagering is cold fermenting, right? Right. And then you can have cold right. conditioned. Um, true. This is true. Beers, right? We should um, explain the difference. Yeah, sure. So it's a Hefeweizen. So it's brewed with an ale yeast, right? Right. Whip beer yeast, or white, I'm sorry, Hefeweizen yeast is, is an ale yeast, which means it doesn't operate at 40 degrees. 45 degrees. It's not. Where lagering temperatures would be. So it would have it's, to ferment at a warmer uh, temperature. Saccharomyces cerevisiae cerev- instead of Saccharomyces pistorius, which is the right. lager yeast. Right. So it would have to be fermented at a warmer temperature. Otherwise, it wouldn't operate, right? And then we've had beers in the past where after primary fermentation, they do lager it, right? They kind of, But it's more of a cold conditioning. Uh, let's see, you settle out. Let's the beer maturate, you know, under a cold condition instead. Um I, I don't think I would say typically for Hefeweizens that they're always cold-conditioned, you know, or more often than not, but. So definitely banana. little bubble gum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely more estery than phenolic, right? There's right. not much, clo- not as much clove and other spicy notes as there is the fruity notes. There's a little something that it's almost giving me a kind of a rose. Okay. Definitely vanilla. And so when you go into vanilla, you, that is such a wide berth. Mm-hmm. Woody comes from there. Uh, chocolate is mostly vanilla. Um, there's so much that comes out of That vanillin. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I haven't said anything in addition to Greg because he beat me to the punch with. Uh, for me, yeah, the banana and the bubble gum is definitely front stage, and then everything else is just nuances off of that. You get a little bit of a uh, nice wheaty, spice grassiness. Little, almost touch. I wouldn't quite go lemon this time. But, mm-hmm. you know, as I'm smelling, you get this nice, nice wheat aroma in there as well. It's not just all the, the estery flavor aromas. This is an interesting, and I just had a taste of it. And, and it, it first thing that hit me was that, uh, you know, the spicy grassy notes mm-hmm. come up hitting you. And then the the more estery stuff come in. But then there's a, there's a component here, which I don't know if, if it's... The only way I can describe it is it's a little oxidized, like it's a little sherry-like. It, it it tastes like it has a little bit of old ale hmm. oxidation on it. I mean, it has a very... I'm trying to figure out... I'm trying to get to what you're describing. It, you know, we poured it with a lot of yeast, so it's a very creamy mouthfeel. Um, there, I think there is a little bit of of yeastiness. It's at the end, not really it's, bread yeast, but there's you know there's this creamy kind of full, and then a little bit more of a, I guess a little bit of bready type thing. So I think it's yeastiness. I'm, that's that's the closest thing I can get to what you're saying. It's, it's at the end after after you know after the the. Hold on a second here. 
there's a little bit of hair in the taste, but then as most of the taste goes away, I'm left with this kind of oxidated note on the back of my tongue hmm. that just sort of stays. This, I mean, it's I, I doubt there's a difference. Yeah. but It's interesting because I don't get anything on like the back of my tongue. Like it, It's really clean back there when I take a sip. I get the sort of the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting the same beer in both classes. I'm like I'm not I'm not drawing anything in particular to what you're describing. Hmm. Like I say, it reminds me most of of an old ale of that sort of deep sherry you get when oxidation has generally gone pretty right, but mm-hmm. a little off. I mean, for me, this is. Reminding me of, you know, just a really good traditional wheat beer. You know, it like drinking this takes me to, um, you know, a big old mug of Hefeweizen at like Hofbrauhaus or something like that. But pro- if I was doing them side by side, probably better than, you know, what you typically get at, at least the Pittsburgh Hofbrauhaus. Um, and then, you know, other times that you're kind of having a... I tend to like a more estuary... Weizen, I like one that, you know, gives me, like, it was smelling like, you know, this bubblegum and stuff, but it was, I'm not getting that so much in the flavor. The only place I'm getting a lot of that fruitiness is, is at that end of that. And that may be what's what's coming through is that it's coming through to me as oxidized, but it's coming to you as more fruity. But it seems like a deeper, darker. Yeah. Uh, what are your note? I'm still looking for what you're describing, even if it's, you know, something else that I, you know, that I see it as something else, but like when you're describing it's hitting you, I'm I'm left with a pretty clean flavor. Just you know, some wheat floating around in the back of the taste, and um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not picking out anything in particular. Okay. Well, we can't all be super tasters like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> I'm enjoying this one. I think it's a good drinker. It's. Uh, I'm not not enjoying it. Right. You said you typically enjoy more estuary ones. Um, Traditionally, you know, like at first, I liked more phenolic ones. You like like pens used to be, Um, and you know, I've come around, so I'm kind of indifferent now. Like I like I I'll take them as they come, right? Estuary or phenolic, but uh, yeah. So, but yeah, I used to be. You know, I'd I'd prefer the spicy ones over the like. For example, I remember very clearly liking pen over Brooklyn. Because of that, because mm-hmm. Brooklyn was a lot more banana like this one. So, we got a little bit more to get through here since it's uh, yes. 250 mils each instead of our normal uh, 150. Nickel so. Fritz is the name of the beer. I, I like the name. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds very. You know, very German, but having fun with German. It does. It has a very, um, yeah, it, it's, who knows how authentic the name mm-hmm. is in German, but it sounds like a comedic German name yeah. in English. They have a lot of good names for their beers. That they do. All right, so pairing off with the Schnickelfritz is a beer that was sent to us by listener Bill. Thank you, Bill. This is... Do we mention that Urban Chestnut was sent to us by the brewery? Yes, by Urban Chestnut. Uh, So, 
this is from Lightning Brewery. Lightning is um, they are in like San Diego, I think, right? Yeah, San Diego yes. County. Okay. So, I think we've had Lightning before. Have, I know we had we, Black we had Lightning. Him, we, Black had him, Lightning. Him, we had him once on the show. I went back yeah. and looked it up. We had probably Gary, maybe mm-hmm. Mike sent us a bottle of their porter. So, since this is a 22-ounce bottle, and we're not going to drink 11 ounces mm-hmm. each, um, I, I capped it, but I just resealed it with a um, Xylus, and now I'm kind of just rolling it, trying to rouse the yeast. Without... I can see a lot of yeast in the bottom Yeah, there. there's like almost a quarter inch of yeast on the bottom there. So I'm just going to rouse it here until it looks like it's getting a little bit worked up. This is Thunderweizen. It is available in 22-ounce bottles and also on draft. 5.5% alcohol by volume. Uh, it won the Bronze Award in San Diego International Beer Festival, Bronze for Los Angeles International Commercial Beer Festival, Gold in the California State Fair Commercial Craft Beer Competition. It's a lot of C's in that one. All right. Yeah, there's a mountain of yeast at the bottom. I'm not going to try to get all that stuff suspended in solution. Um, yeah, it's definitely pouring nice and cloudy, so I think we got enough yeast up in the, the sample here. If it doesn't taste like it, we can always go back to the well. Don't see a ton of Hefeweizens in 22-ounce bottles. At least not around here. No. <laughs> That's weird. The rubber is coming. The Xylus is... I thought maybe it broke the way it popped up, but... I don't know. We love our Xyluses, but for some reason it's not working. The one thing... Quite right in this About that technique is... I almost smell, I think, a little bit of the rubber from the Xylus on mine. Let's see if... if... Oh. oh. They normally, we, the Xylus doesn't touch the beer, right? But I had already opened it before right. I realized that I wanted to rouse yeast, so kind of had to. So hopefully it doesn't... Yeah, normally the beer never actually touches the Xylus, so it's not yeah. a problem. All right, so the aroma on this one, it's a... I'm trying to, like, you know, since we just had a Hefeweizen, you know, first thing I'm is in contrast mode, right? And there's... I need to put some words to this, but there's something... It's a little... I think this smells a little more phenolic. Just a bit. Mm Mm-hmm. There's still some fruitiness there, but it's not big banana. It's not big bubblegum like the last one. But it's also not a spicy aroma, so it's kind of... Mid-road, but you're getting some phenolics. I just got kind of a... What did I smell? Um, Something kind of candy-like, like like I was... A lollipop popped into my head or something. Kind of like one of those swirl, like all-day sucker-type lollipops. Now, um, as I, I'm tilting the glass and turning it, I'm get, I got more banana in that last aroma. So it's it's kind of jumping around. I'm going to move on to the flavor. More lemony than the last one. You know, get more, more of a tartness. 
Yeah, there's a, there's a significant tang to it, don't you think? <clears throat> I think it was probably interesting that we chose to, to do this and the orange stuff because I'm getting orange or something okay. so much citrusy from this. I wouldn't say lemons as much. I think okay. the orange, maybe a little bit of tangerine. They say use they use sixty percent wheat in their beer, so they exceed the fifty percent wheat minimum beers must contain to consider themselves true German Hefeweizen nails. Yeah, I mean, so I'm trying to figure out this tang thing a little bit more. It it could be like a lemongrass type flavor that I'm getting, you know, from the wheat, where the last one was a lot more smoother and a lot more of a kind of the spicy part of a wheat um, characteristic this one's more of a grassy part of the wheat characteristic they say they use decoction mashing okay so um so decoction's where they um, scoop out some of the thick grains and boil it and then put it back into the mash and it lets you raise the temperature of the mash tun if you don't have a heated mash tun right um, think of when they were doing, um, think of when you were mashing in a wooden vessel, right? And you couldn't heat it directly. You would pull off the grains, boil it in a smaller steel or okay. stone vessel, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Depending on the era. And then you would put the boiling grains back in the mash tun and start up to raise the temperature, right? So you do that instead of like, say, making a stein beer where you'd cook the rocks and throw the Well, rocks this is during the mash, right? Okay, so this is this is before you're doing the actual, yeah. the actual boiling. This is right. when you're right. This is when you're extracting converting grains. Yeah. Um, when you traditionally the grains we use today are well modified grains, which you can get good extraction at a single temperature mash. Um, with more primitive grains, you needed to raise the temperature throughout to get good extraction, and that's where decoction kind of came into play. And you get other character because you needed. Because it was the only means necessary to raise the temperature mm-hmm. without diluting the wort or the, the brewing liquor. Um, of course, you're going to get some caramelization. You know, you're going to get some some other things from exposing that portion of the mash to high temperatures, to boiling temperatures. So you get, you know, that typically in a Doppelbach, right, you taste a lot of those uh, melanoids and things like that, you know, because it's triple, typically triple decocted in a weeper like this. I'm going to taste for it, but I really haven't noticed anything that is... What I think of as a decocted flavor. I will explain the process that they wrote. So I'll just read what they say. Um, Wheat and barley is milled into warm water, which dissolves the grain starch and enzymes. We warm this small up to a temperature that allows proteins to be broken down into amino acids. Then remove about one third. Leaving the other two thirds at a steady sub-boiling point. We bring the removed one third to a full boil, dissolving all the starch. We then pump this back into the bulk of the mash, raising the temperature to a level... That allows for the breakdown of the dissolved starches. We then repeat this step again to further increase the multi presence of the beer. So they'd take a third, put it back in, then take another third, right. put it back in. So instead of doing... That's that's traditional. I mean, that'd be a double decocted. Yeah. And the third's a traditional portion to do this all against, okay. so... I'm tasting it. I don't really taste anything. They say the result is maltier and more full-bodied. 
It's okay. It, it, as, as I'm drinking it, I'm, I'm... Yeah, it's not as... Um, hmm. I'm trying to think how to, how to do it. I think it's a fine hefe. Oh, it's not as um, deep as the Schnickelfritz, right? Schnickelfritz was... For me, it was, was deeper. had a lot more... Um, uh, development of the flavor, right? You were getting a lot of different things. Yeah, I, I, and, and I agree. I, I mean, I think the sugar fritz was, you know, was better in my mind if it didn't have that thing at the end that I tasted that you mm-hmm. didn't. Um, since this doesn't have that, um, it, it it might be better in my mind, but only just because it doesn't really have much beyond mm-hmm. very traditional wheat. Stuff there's not a lot else going on here. Like I said, a little bit of orange, but uh, I may be reaching there. Even I don't mm-hmm. even know. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that I don't mean to put anything down. I think it's a, it's a it's an interesting beer. It's a fine beer. Um, I prefer the Schnickelfritz over it. So this next one, this Pinner Throwback IPA, it's a lower alcohol IPA. So I want to get to that next before we get too much on our palate. All right. uh, Oscar Blues sent us this beer just the other day. Actually, I sent an email to my contact. Requesting it because they just released this beer and wanted to try it. 4.9% alcohol by volume, 35 IBUs. It says they use special varieties of hops to target the ever-evolving flavor. So they call it a throwback IPA. Um, at 4.9, it's almost a session IPA. Um, it's questionable, I would say. Okay. I mean, I don't know if I would... Uh, you know, I think 4.4... 4, is the limit of where I, what I would right? What I would call sessionable, at least. This one was brewed in Brevard, North Carolina, which where most of the Oscar Blues that we get these days will come from. How do you cram as much malt, hop, and malt flavor and aroma as possible into a beer, but make it crushable too? <laughs> it's in a can, right? Right. Yeah, there's a couple things on here, right? They're like, pack it in, pack it out. You know, uh, cans are infinitely recyclable. So part of the marketing, they may have, they probably have it on the other cans too, but I haven't noticed a couple of these. Um, it's definitely promoting the the benefits of aluminum. Aluminium for, for Dave from the UK. Technically, aluminium is the, is the approved PSI pronunciation. pronunciation, yeah. Should we start using it then? I wouldn't mind it, <laughs> but it might it might alienate some people. Well, yeah, so we might get some comments about uh, yeah. the pronunciation. So the aroma on this one, you know, granted we're going from wheat beers to IPAs, but this one is chock full of of aroma. You get a couple different things. You get pineapple juice. You get other citrus juices. You get. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely in the tropical range. Those yeah, pineapple's a big one. <laughs> Do you smell any uh, anything you don't like in there? No, I don't smell durian in here. You don't? I no. I didn't get like full fledged durian, but I got a fringe, like like part of the durian flavor aroma off of this. No, no, I don't. I don't really. So for whatever reason, I'm, I mean, I knew what you were saying, right? Right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's not full on, you know, onion custard durian, but yeah. there's there's a, there's a shared component in in both. I I, I agree. 
that there is, but it's mm-hmm. not taking my mind right. to Durian. Right. Whereas I forget which beer it was that did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, every once in a while I get this little whiff of super saturated like uh, orange juice too. You know, so this whole orange thing's tying together, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's a that's a that's a big aroma. This is the Pinner Throwback IPA from Oscar Blues. Really bright aroma. There's definitely, oh, okay, it hit me in a, in a different way after the initial burst, but it, it was like pineapple up front, a little, little hard to come by, a little bit of a, of almost a rye-like flavor in, in the malt, but then it sort of bounced around all all the hops, mm-hmm. all that uh, that alpha acid came through, and it's like okay, this is uh, a deeper, a deeper through lane that goes kind of in a mango direction, kind of resiny at the same time. Slightly mm, slightly evergreen, like, I wouldn't say pine yeah, so, so much. But so one of the things I noticed in the first two sips here is the aroma is such a hop-bursted aroma. Mm-hmm. The flavor isn't as bursting in the hop flavor, right? The flavor... It has a lot of hops in it, but you also get a big malt backbone yeah. with it as well, right? And it's more balanced than the aroma would suggest. Um, so the hops aren't like way out in front, you know, stealing the show. Yeah, it's a lot more balanced. It's a lot of biscuit there too, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of so there's a some of that sort of hot marmalade kind of flavor yeah. that comes through. And yeah, and the hops really do develop late in the aftertaste too. As I'm sitting here talking, I'm getting, I just got a little boost of something that was particularly marmalady, like you mm-hmm. just said, right? You know, and that came up probably 20 seconds after my mm-hmm. sip. Yeah, this definitely goes through a phase change at some point. When it go, it goes from tropical to and almost jam like mm-hmm. in, in weirdly in terms of, of of the way it's presenting itself it's so interesting that these day you know back in the day when we started the show or even for most of that time right a brewery had an IPA yeah and now breweries have three IPAs four IPAs mm-hmm. and they're all distinct and they're all different yeah and and this is one of those right i mean they don't call Dale's Pale Ale an IPA, but it's a hoppy American Pale Ale. They have Deviant Dale's, which is, I think, I think maybe that's the one they call their IPA. Maybe not. And then they have Gubna or G Knight uh, or G Knight is what's called now, right? It was Gordon. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm drawing a blank on it. And then I got this one, and this one, you know, is... G Knight is yes, G Knight. There is there is still Gubna, which is seasonal, right? What is Gubna? Um, that's what I'm, that's what I'm drawing a blank. Right, so Gubna is each year Gubna takes on a personality of its own. They say oh, okay. Well, it's not the one I'm thinking. I'm thinking of G Knight then. So G Knight or G Knight is. A dry hopped double red IPA. Right. <laughs> so they got that one. They got Dale's Pale Ale. It's plenty hoppy. Now they have the Pinner, which is, you know, throwback IPA. So it just, you know, breweries can have a whole stable of, of IPAs in their uh, portfolio. And now the, the question is throwback to what? 
And what does pinner mean? Yeah. I'm I'm curious. There is not that I can see information about what pinner means and what they mean by throwback IPA. I mean, the closest I can think of in terms of throwback is what we had three weeks ago and what we will be having probably next, Mm -hmm. which is a throwback to a particular old IPA. Let me pause real quick because I think I got some collateral for this one. So there are two things that uh, we got from... Well, there are a couple things we got from Oscar Booze, but uh, one of them is a PDF version of essentially what's on their website, which Jeff has right in his hands. The other one is a sort of press release uh, and just breaking it down. Essentially what I can tell is that they're they're pointing out it's lower alcohol by volume. They say it's it's the lowest year-round ABV beer to come out of their uh, brew houses, and they say... That they try to focus on hops and malts with a considerable nod to the hops. But uh, not really much about why. Or the name. Yeah. So they do call Gubna Imperial IPA. We're guessing about their beers and they have all this stuff sitting over there on the yeah, bar. Right. I, I usually try to make a good point of putting these here in the studio. Yeah, so Deviant Dales is their official IPA. American style India Palo. The Gubna is an Imperial IPA. The G-Knight's an Imperial Red, like Greg said. And Dale's Pale Ale is, uh, just, uh, they don't specify it as an American Pale Ale, just a Pale Ale, but, uh, let's call it an American Pale Ale. I mean, when you think about it, fairly it, hoppy it, it, one it's, that. it's interesting because, like, Trogues, their uh, Hotback Amber is really a Pale Ale. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it's more of a Pale Ale than their Pale, than their pale Ale in some ways. Right. Uh... Pinner will join the mix pack Canundrum, which includes Dale's Pale Ale, Mama's Little Yellow Pills, Old Chub, and they 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 point out the four point nine percent ABV Pinner IPA. So they're they're concentrating on the alcohol by volume very much, but it's still not what I would consider saturable. But maybe they do. But for every, but for every three Dale's Pale Ale, you can have four of these. So. All right. <clears throat> so, do you, before we go on to the next one, uh, keep me low to start out with so we don't jump into it. Okay. <laughs> hey, you want to support us? You guys have done a great, wonderful... Thank you so much for supporting us. Yeah, it was this, a great holiday this, season. Yeah. But uh, don't don't let your uh, memories fade. Of craft- don't rest on your laurels, everybody. <laughs> exactly. Craftbeerradio.com slash Amazon. That's where you go when you do your Amazon shopping instead of Amazon.com. That's craftbeerradio.com slash Amazon. We'll direct you right to Amazon. You can shop just like you normally would. won't cost you a penny more. And uh, a portion of your sale goes to us instead of to all to Amazon. And uh, just think of us when you think of Amazon. And also, we're going to add one more thing here tonight. Uh, Greg and I are kind of like torn about doing this. We hate to... We don't want to do it, but it's almost a necessary evil. We're not going to bash it in your head every week. But if you listen to us on an Apple device and you wouldn't mind going to iTunes and... I'm not going to ask for a five-star review. Give us a review that you think is fair. But we've been around for almost 10 years and only have 41 reviews. And we haven't had a review in probably a year and a half. And uh, 
you know, just give us a few reviews and, uh, and let's get that number up over 41. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a good call. Just over 41 if you can do it. Thanks, everybody. Alrighty. So, since we're doing head-to-heads and we're doing throwback IPAs, this was a lost opportunity on the show a couple weeks ago because I had this beer in the fridge and I didn't know that Muddy Does and Stone did a collaboration called Clusters Last Stand. And this beer was to be a uh, interpretation of a Ballantine IPA. Right. So we had Ballantine IPA on the show, and this beer was sitting in the fridge, and we could have done two people's interpretations of that classic beer, and we missed the opportunity. Ballantine IPA, we both really did enjoy. Yeah. So this one is 8.3% alcohol by volume, 62 IBUs. Malta with North American two-row flaked maize, that's corn, Munich 10L and C60. Hops that are used are bittering cluster, flavor, bittering, they use cluster hops. Flavor, Brewer's Gold in East Kent, dry hopped with bullion. I think bullion was... Yeah, I think that yeah. one was uh, in the other one, too. Uh, yeast... White Labs WLP001 American Ale, widely, wild, <laughs> bleh, widely rumored to be the original Ballantine strain. What are you looking for? I was looking to see if there's more xyluses sitting over there. Oh. And this one, I'm pretty sure I picked up a giant eagle. Or Heather, excuse me, Heather picked up a giant eagle. Nice bright aroma, not tropical. The aroma is uh, it's a couple things. It's um, it's very malty. It's kind of um, it's English. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, how do I want to describe it? Um, let me take another sniff here. Oh, that smells good. <laughs> it really does. It's so there's, yeah. There's a couple things. I'm trying to figure. It has malty. I was trying to put like what kind of like bread or other grain that it was, but I'm not able to get there right now. But the hops on it are very juicy hop aroma. Right? Doesn't it smells like a uh, golly? It's got a candiness to it. It some orange pith. Yeah. But it's not, not it's overly citrusy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> A little bit of floral in the... No, no. Uh, I don't know. It's A little a, bit of floral, a touch of, like, Parmesan. I mean, there's, there's notes there that are... I mean, it's not sticky mm-hmm. cheese. It's like, right. it's a... It's a it's a wonderful kind of floral thing. Nutty, it's a little nutty. Okay, under the flavor, and I'm trying to remember exactly, but I think it it has. A flavor that is reminiscent of the Ballantine, but the Ballantine did it better. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's hard to say. It's been a few weeks now. Um, 
takes a couple sips. My second sip, I was able to like pull. The first sip, I don't know, seems a little washed out. Got some things, but the second sip, the hops are a little bit brighter. Getting a, the, kind of a, this late kick where they kind of boost up a little bit, and you're getting some good, uh, nearly citrusy flavors. It's not like bright orange or anything like that, but there's there's kind of a, a light citrusy flavor to it. There's kind of a, a bit of like a cinnamon toast maltiness that is a little bit stronger on the malt than what I remember the Ballantine being, and I remember the hops being a little bit cleaner on the Ballantine, in, in just in terms of, of how they were coming through, mm-hmm. but similar in flavor. I think they, they they came very close to what Ballantine was like, or at least right. what the version of that Ballantine sent to us is like, that mm-hmm. Pap sent to us is like. Right. As you drink this one, I mean, there's a good malt backbone to it. It doesn't really, it kind of just blends in, right? It, it, it is a good backbone to balance it, but it doesn't really have anything that's particularly standing out as a, you know, particularly. It's a little unfair for me to compare it to, to Ballantine IPA that I'm remembering from three weeks ago that we both put in third place. <laughs> it's. <laughs> so. So 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 recognize that I, I'm enjoying it very much. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of comparing it to an idealized sort of memory that I have, which is probably not as accurate as I think it is. There's a, there's a firm. I mean, so one thing I remember saying about the Valentine is I was surprised how bitter it was. Yeah, and this one I think has, is on par with the bitterness. Right, yeah. this one has a fair amount of bitterness on the back end. Um, after that show, I did some research into the Ballantine, and I looked into it, and it was like that. I mean, that that is what people were saying. I mean, is, is that Ballantine IPA was a genuine IPA? Like it was, it was a, it was a crown jewel, and it was something that that, that people still sought after, and so it was not mm-hmm. just some, uh, you know, some Americanized uh, balderdash version of a. Sure. Of an IPA. No, it makes it sense. was a real deal. My, my biggest question is, with our modern palettes, you know, would we recognize traditional colonial era IPAs, right? You know, that's that's my question, right? And that's yeah. a harder one to answer. Yes. Well, it's, it's, it's considerably hard to answer until we invent the time machine. Uh, right. And I'm going to remind everybody that time travel is impossible, so we won't be inventing a time machine. <laughs> well, if relativity is true, time travel is impossible. Let's put it that way. Now, I'm enjoying this one, too. Um, into the past. Not a ton of into the past is possible. I'm sorry. I'm getting off. <laughs> I was trying to drag you back onto the path. Uh, I, I'm enjoying this one. Uh, what's the ABV on this one? Uh, you know. This is larger. I think I think Ballantine was at seven something. This is eight point three. Okay. So because yeah, you know this last sip was the first moment where I got that little bit of oh hey oh hey <laughs> yes the CBR oh hey there's a Best Buy date on this one. It's Best Buy three five fifteen. So we we beat it. That's interesting. In the in the you know little inkjet thing where it has a Best Buy, they actually have the AV, AVB printed there. It's 8.8. 8.8? 8. 8. 8. It's either 8.8 or 0.0. Not sure which. I doubt it's 0.0. 0. 
But yeah, if they're saying it's eight point eight, then their then their website. It's, it's interesting that it's on the little date thing, yeah. right? It's almost. I mean, so I well, I can't tell you the last time I've had a smutty nose big bottle. Um, so maybe that's something they do. Uh, but you know, putting the ABV on the on the little thing. I wonder if there's variability. I mean, maybe, I, there maybe is. I mean, beer is an agricultural product. Maybe there not is going to be variability but, but in, in that's, small that's, sessions. That's the brewer's job is to to make up the brew to the final output, right? So they change their ingredients. I'm just curious if um, Smutty Nose finds it more economical to not put the ABV on the label, but to you know on the second line of the little Best Buy date. Well, I mean, uh, the, the question is, could they have originally planned for the eight point? be 8.3 is that's what goes on their website and then it turned out it was 8.8 and so they they printed other labels 8.8 I'm thinking more so I mean I don't know I don't know about the discrepancy from the website I'm thinking instead of committing to an ABV on a label um, they just put it in the laser etcher or the inkjet etcher thingy on the bottling line It's really good. It's it's the kind of IPA that uh, I still think has a place, and I'm I'm sad to see it, that it doesn't it isn't as apparent, which is the sort of East Coast or really the the, the British more style, yeah. yeah, IPA, which is um slightly more slightly more leafy mm-hmm. kind of flavor to it. It's it's not citrusy, uh, but at the same time, I mean, it's definitely expressing the hops, but there's a this really good malt backbone here. There's a really nice uh, through of, of really, it's this great breadiness to go with mm-hmm. it. It's very good. The the hops also give uh, more of a spicy note than they do in more traditional American IPAs. Sounds good. I'm checking the ABVs on these next ones. 5.9 for the stone. And uh, I'm not going to be able 8. to... 8.5. 8.5 on the... So I guess we'll do the stone first? Well, why don't we do the, the larger alcohol water first, I think, actually. Oh. All right. So I just took it back out of the cellophane wrap. This is the first time we've had a beer on the show with an edible bottle. Well... No, part of the bottle. An edible wrapping to the bottle <laughs> is really what it is. Yes, so... There got... is... If you take a look at the... If, if you're using this on... A podcast uh, stream that can you can see the picture. There's a picture of all the beers, and you can see this one has a chocolate wrapping with like orange. Uh, yeah, we've had waxed beer before, but this one is a bottle dipped in chocolate because both of the next two beers are chocolate orange beers, and they're both you know. I presume that the Stones also holiday release. Chocolate oranges are kind of a uh, stocking stuffer type thing for yeah. Christmas, right? They make these little um, oranges, they're made of chocolate, put them in a stocking, and it's an orange-flavored chocolate. This was wrapped in cellophane, so the chocolate didn't get... It wasn't just chocolate on, yeah. on a shelf or anything, no. even though it was sent to us by Saradac. They they said yeah. that... Well, they, I'm pretty sure that this is not... Their, you're not going to find a chocolate-dipped bottle of Saradac's chocolate orange. It was just... At the store. Yeah. Um, they sent us a couple bottles, and only one of the bottles was decorated with the dipped chocolate. But you might get it in, like, a pack, right? I mean, if they had a... Maybe. A pack of them, they might have one. 
Who knows if they packaged them in four packs? Maybe one of the four sipped. I don't know. It is a chocolate orange chocolate. Mm-hmm. You can definitely taste the orange peel inside the chocolate that's on the bottle. <laughs> All right, and quite the, good. The beer pours craft chocolate radio. <laughs> yes, beer pours very black little head. Okay, so they use uh, they call it a Baltic porter with. Cacao and orange peel. Malts that are used are two-row. Dark, dark, dark crystal. Dark crystal and chocolate malt. Hops, Cascade, and this is a new one, Saphir. Saphir. S-A-P-H-I-R. Hmm. 8.5% alcohol by... <laughs> yes. I wonder if it's sapphire and they left the E off because I've seen sapphire hops. It's well, then that would that would make more sense than a whole new thing that they just dropped the E out of a whole new style of hops. I don't know. I don't know. Um, anyway, the aroma on this one, kind of the orange or the chocolate, is not what I'm smelling. I'm smelling more of that Baltic Porter that Greg mentioned, right? I'm smelling. Kind of a, a roasty, almost a bit of a barrel-y, like a woody type aroma on it. So they say... Almost a little bit smoky. It reminds me a bit of a of a, of a scotch or something on the aroma. Even though the hops, they say chocolate and sapphire and or sapphire, <clears throat> they say on their description, excuse me, they say five different hops and four different malts. So I don't know what the other f- three hops are. In terms of the four malts, two row dark crystal and chocolate malt is what they talk about. And there's another malt that's missing. They also <laughs> say they use cho- they use blood orange peel and the finest hand selected purest cacao nibs. So when I smell this, I smell scotch. I mean that's like the main thing I smell is like this smoky peaty aroma. Do you get that at all? Not being as into scotch as you are, I can't say I do. Okay. I'll, I'll switch it around with you just to see if we're sl- getting slightly different aromas. I don't think so. No? Okay. I don't know if I smell orange on it either. I don't smell... The chocolate. color is just plain old dark. Plain old dark. Yeah, it's really dark. It almost looks like a milk stout. Oh, no. There's a little bit of... No. Well, I mean, that's... It's so it's hard to... I, I would say not really. I mean, only as it thins do you get some highlight, okay. so... Okay, there's there's some... I'm starting to get some orange in there. On the flavor, uh, Baltic Porter definitely comes into play, right? You're getting a lot of those really dark, roasty flavors. Towards doesn't, the licorice end. Towards the licorice. I'm not, you know, it doesn't quite get the soy sauce or anything like that. You know, but you get a little bit of that oxidative character of, of a really heavy, dark malted beer. And, and I think that's... It's, I mean... I'm going to take a few more sips to calibrate. But that's all I tasted. I didn't taste any kind of cocoa nibs or orange. 
but I did taste the Baltic Porter that I really liked. So let me see if I can get a little bit more into it. Sort of letting the, the air come over the beer. And I think that... I think the orange is there, but if you wouldn't have told me about it, I don't know if I would have been able to pull it out. It's because I think it, it it's lost in the Balticness, right? I mean, it's lost in that deeper mm-hmm. part. I may have said like some some fruit, something along the lines of of plums or prunes mm-hmm. in that area, right? Yeah, I'm having a hard time finding it. I mean, it, it's weird because I think that the beer I am tasting. And probably blind, I would say that's that's a Baltic Porter. That it's clearly a Baltic Porter. It's clearly a good Baltic Porter. But if you're looking for the, if you bought this for the chocolate and the orange, and you're looking for that, I'm not sure. Well, if you bought this for the chocolate and orange, you can find it. That's the nice thing about psychology is is if you know it's there, maybe, maybe I mean, if you're told it's there, you'll be able to find it. Maybe, generally. but I mean, think of the, the kind of consumer that a chocolate orange beer is marketed to and how much chocolate and orange is in this beer, right? Knowing it, what I do about psychology, which is not a great deal, but knowing what I do about psychology, people will convince their, themselves that it's there, mm-hmm. whether it's there or not. Now I, th- I think it's there, I think it's there in a smaller proportion than yeah what than most people would expect, but I think that right. people wouldn't be necessarily displeased because they would be able to detect it at least a little bit. Now, from this moment on, I'm not going to compare this to my expectation of a chocolate orange beer because I don't want to beat a dead horse. I'm going to talk about the beer that I taste. I don't want to beat a dead and, horse either. And if chocolate or orange comes into the play, that's fine. But I'm going to talk about this Baltic Porter and how it develops as I drink it. Do so that that's well. I will. So the aroma, I'm getting a little bit more woodiness on it now. I mean, this one tells a story. This one is one of the. Um, granted, we're doing tons of different styles tonight, and we've had some good beers tonight. But the aroma on this one, I'm smelling a little bit more uh, woodiness now, almost a bit of a sassafras or something like that. I don't mean to, I'm not laughing at you, I'm laughing at a sketch that okay. popped into my head. That's fine. I, I wasn't I wasn't discouraged. I was I was gonna stand behind that mm. that call right there. I think you're absolutely right. I just remember a sketch where it's a UCB sketch and, and the only thing I can remember from it is Sassafras, Molasses. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, I'm getting a little bit of something that's very reminiscent of the aromatic woods that they use it, like the Palo Santo Moron, right? It's a kind of cedary, spicy wood type aroma. You know, it's interesting you bring up the Palo because I, I do remember that being a, a, a very distinct woody note that had more than just your typical wood stuff. I think that this is... This, while this has a woody note and it does go in some direction, it doesn't go as far. Oh, as it doesn't go as far. Yeah. No, it's more of a nuance, right? Yeah. But you're getting this, this potpourri, this spicy, this herbal wood, you know, type character. Back to the flavor. You know what? I'm actually. Oh, what you know? I probably I think I just ate a little bit of the chocolate. That's probably why I'm tasting the chocolate. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that while we're doing the beer. 
So yeah, in a sense, they're kind of they may be almost cheating with us if they were to get by giving us the chocolate and saying, "Yeah, try that." Then have it. Yeah, probably shouldn't beer. have done the commemorative bottle on the uh, on the show. Um, <laughs> yeah, I picked up a little crumb, you know, because it's there, and my just my obsessive nature is like, oh, you know. And then the beer tasted more chocolatey. I'm like, well, yeah, there's chocolate on my tongue. Interesting thing is, is I mean. Regular listeners know that if there's wax in a bottle, Jeff will just tear it apart to the entire show. Pieces, yeah. It's a little bit harder to do with chocolate because it's just going to melt, and you won't be able to eat it. <laughs> so, right, right. Who knows? All right, so I'm done with that. I, I like that beer awful lot. Me too. Even though... Me too. I didn't get the label. Like I didn't get the components that are listed in the title of the beer. It almost didn't matter. It didn't because it was I think really, it, was a, it was really good. It was good Baltic Porter, yeah. So if anything, they're just eat slight highlights of the flavor that mm-hmm. make it go down just that much easier. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Final beer of the night is a beer that uh, Greg brought over tonight. Probably kind of a coincidence. I don't think you knew I had this chocolate one. My, so. I, I I knew, but I didn't. There were there was another one. That I didn't get. Okay. I got that one instead oh, of... Oh, it's a gusher! Oh, that's not a good sign. Not at all. Gushers almost are never good. <laughs> uh, tends to be a mark of an infection. Yeah, so this is the Stone Smoked Porter Chocolate and Orange. Um, with chocolate and orange peel. It's a porter with chocolate and orange peel, it says. 5.9% alcohol by volume. Yeah, they got a whole bunch of, you know, dialogue on the back of the label. Blah, 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 blah. Let's smell this, see if it's ruined or not. It's ruined. You don't think so? Smell. You're not smelling ruined beer. Yours is ruined. <laughs> Mine is d- isn't as strongly ruined. It's pretty ruined. Okay, now it is. Yeah, no, there's yeah, it, there's a band aid plastic note, so it's acetone. Um, yeah. Yuck. Oh, I, I'll take a sip, but. Bye. Yuck. Well, well, that's unfortunate. You can't do the comparison because I can't judge that. No. Maybe if we peel off all this chocolate and throw it in. Well, the chocolate will certainly get the that acetone (laughs) out of my uh, taste buds. Mm -hmm. All right. Do you do you want to pull in another beer or you want to wrap it? I say pull another beer. I mean, all right. We promised ourselves six. We promised the listeners six beer. All right, we're back with a final beer. So what goes great with chocolate? Peanut butter. Why don't we take what Carl Strauss gave us, a peanut butter cup porter? And give it a try. And be test much that sucker out. We haven't had this beer on the show because there's not much opportunity to, peer, to pair peanut butter cup beers with uh, other beers. However, there is that evil genius sweet baby Jesus in the market that we could have... See, maybe Jesus is from Duclaw. Duclaw, yeah. Evil Genius does one too. Not called Sweet Baby Jesus? No, no. They do a peanut butter. They do 
They do all kinds of crazy right, things. Right, yeah. We, we had that with Tommy. Do we, oh, the peanut butter one? Yeah. Okay. So this 5.6% alcohol by volume, 56 uh, on SRM. <laughs> Don't usually talk about that. That just means dark. <laughs> I mean, there's, 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 there's highlights on this. Yeah, there's a ruby there's shining through it. It is limited release in kegs and 22 ounces. We have a 22-ounce bomber with us. They call it a robust brown porter. Malts that are used are Carapils, Caramel 40, Caramel 60, Chocolate Malt, and Brown Malt. The Hops, Palisade. They sent this one a little bit ago. I wouldn't expect it to still be out. Uh, like I said, Peanut Butter Cup Porter, it's hard to fit that into your Yeah, they show. call it Carl's Ridiculously Limited Release. So, <laughs> Alright, so the aroma on this one. It's it's also very cold here. I think we're going to have to work some yeah. heat into this thing. We just pulled it out. It's at 46 degrees, which is typical serving temperature, but not for us. We like things a lot hotter. Wow. What? Okay, this is really strange. They say that uh, they chose San Diego Beer Week back in 2012 as the perfect place to debut their peanut butter cup porter. Um. Okay. I don't see where they put peanut butter in it, but they they did because this they have a little star here. It says individuals with peanut allergies should avoid consuming this beer. So there are peanuts in this beer. Yeah, I mean you can definitely smell it, right? It. it... Okay, there's also coffee. Because they say, in addition, the coffee the coffee and peanut butter qualities of this beer complement the flavor. Well, so it could be qualities, yeah. But there's yeah. definitely there's peanuts in I mean, here. the label says cocoa nibs and peanut flavoring. So, so it's peanut probably peanut powder. Or, yeah. Probably peanut powder because of the de-oiled stuff. Um, and then cocoa nibs as well. Yeah, the beers. It's crazy how like forty six is like typical serving temperature, and we think it's like freezing. I know, you know? Like, oh we're so God, not used so to this. So cold. <laughs> we normally pull all our beers out of the show before we start the pre-show, and by the time we are serving, or by the time we get to them in the main show, they're close to fifty degrees, which yeah. is where we typically like to drink these things, fifty, fifty-five, and uh, this guy's forty-six, and it feels like it's like. It feels like a Coors Light. It's yeah. like the coldest the tasting coldest beer in the world. Coldest tasting beer in the world. So we're wrapping our hands around this beer. They should have whatever. Remember when Coors Light had the the cans that had like an indication that it was the, cold the mountains turned blue and it was yeah. freezing. Yeah, <laughs> that's the kind of technology you put into drinking beer that only tastes good Jeez. when you can't taste it at all. It's. Come on, Vortex bottles. I mean, it's it's yeah. all about just running a marketing's you know through its paces for a quarter. It or works, two. yeah. It works. It's it's spectacular marketing in that it works. All right, I am up to. Nope, oh, that's not right. Fifty. Well, it says fifty-seven on mine. That doesn't. I, the glass still seems colder than that. Huh. Or the battery's getting low. I'm measuring the glass temperature at 55, 
and the temperature at the surface of the beer at 57. So that is the thing about these infrared. You're only measuring a surface. Mm -hmm. And so we're measuring really the interface between the air and the beer itself. Interesting. Well, anyway, it's warmer now. Let's let's drink taste. The, the, the other thing to remember is that our hands remain cold right. because they've absorbed right. a lot of that temperature. So they feel colder than the beer actually does, is. Ah, okay. So yeah, the aroma on this one, definitely peanut butter. But it's not like a jar of peanut butter, right? I, I think this can be chalked up to peanut butter powder, right? It makes most sense for brewers to use that because it takes the oil out. Yes. And oil is bad for beer stability. Head retention in particular, but probably some other things as well. And um, so peanut butter powder, if you've not had the opportunity, is uh, kind of a... <laughs> he says as he eats a piece of chocolate. No, I ate a piece of black wax. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. That's why I spit it back out. Where's there black wax? Leftover from previous shows. Oh, gross. So if you want to know if we clean <laughs> the table, you have your answer. A teeny piece of black wax that looks like chocolate. You know, we don't have that confusion very often. It is true. We don't normally taste things. We like put little chunks of things in our mouths. So the let, well, let's try to get back to this peanut butter powder thing. It's okay. It's, six beers in. It's what we do. It is what we do. That's what we do. It, it's if it was easy, everyone would do it. <laughs> and apparently, only forty-two people are doing it. Forty-one. So there's it's kind of this peanut buttery thing. I'm, I'm smelling because of the roasted malts and the other things. I'm kind of getting this like brief cherry type thing as well in the aroma. It, it's kind of just this fleeting aroma. Yeah, kind of. It's more of a roasted peanut to me, but I, I I know where you're coming from. It's kind of missing. You know what it is? It's a little. It's a little. What am I thinking? Cracker Jack. It's, it's a little bit of okay. caramel with peanut, right? I mean. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that peanut powder probably lacks a little bit of depth of character of like a good peanut butter. Right. Yeah. Oh, oh that, sure, sure. Smoking that oils and that the the, the, the mm, mm. and I think that kind of carries over in this. At least in the aroma. Yeah. I said this when I was you know, when we did the show with Tommy and, and I still think it's true. Oh, this is a better example than I'm used to, but it's also something that I think is it's gimmicky. It 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 feels gimmicky. It feels the, the, like the mouth feels very light. Yeah, and there's something watermelony about it. Yeah, I mean you're not you're not wrong. There there's something off about it. There's something. It, it's not peanut butter. It's peanut esque. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, and there's some estery things going on that like uh, it's kind of a watermelon thing, like almost like a Jolly Rancher. If you can figure out in your head the where peanut and 
watermelon cross. <laughs> You're about hitting where the flavor is that we're getting. That's a difficult one to perceive <laughs> in your mind. But it's there, right? But it's there. Yeah, no. Jeff's right that there's something vaguely jolly. There, there, there's a candy-ish, over-sugared, slightly soured, like slightly citric, mm-hmm. just citric acid, not anything else, component that... It draws you away from thinking, oh, this... Well, you know what it reminds It reminds me a lot of... I just... I remember we talked in the pre-show about commercials, and I don't watch a lot of TV, so I don't see a lot of commercials. But let me put this this way. I watch a lot of TV, but I don't watch a lot of commercials. I'll put it that way. I I don't see a lot of commercials, but I saw a commercial for Reese's Pieces, and they, you know, oh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, they chocolate peanut butter and I was thinking the chocolate they put in Reese's peanut butter butter is like the worst chocolate mm-hmm. the peanut butter is the worst peanut butter so but there's something still nice about the combination yeah there's right? something nice about the combination but but it's not like it's not as wonderful as great chocolate great peanut butter well that's it I mean when you get a real like a craft a peanut butter cup uh-huh. or a Buckeye or something yeah. like that it's like so different right? yeah. it's... but there's a similar kind of Almost peanut butter and chocolate mm-hmm. thing in here. So it's very Reese's and f- tastes kind See, of for processed. me, it's like not even for me, it's not even Reese's peanut butter cup, right? Like, let alone craft like real peanut butter and real chocolate. This thing is peanut butter powder, watermelon. Right. It, the cocoa is not standing up nearly as enough as it yeah. needs to be. Um, it's a gimmick. Well, you know, I, I, I kind of like what Carl Strauss has been sending us over the years, right? So when I saw this one come in, I was hoping that they had cracked the code, right? That they did something that was solid. But, I mean, what we're drinking right now is not no. not a breakthrough in the science of <laughs> peanut butter cup beer technology. No, it, it's a it, it's a kitty candy version of, of something that that should be a lot better. And and really, I I don't know. It seems like you know if you get this beer and you don't think much about it, you might might be passable. But you know that's not what we do, right? So I think it's ranking time. Ranking time. All right, we well, went first last time, so I'm gonna have to go. First. Now the question is, can you rank a bad peanut butter beer below a spoiled beer? Well, I'm not going to rank the spoiled beer. I, I don't think it's it's justific. Right. We we have justification ranking the spoiled beer. So I am going to not consider the stone. I'm going to take it off of our notes. But I'm going to put the Carl Strauss's last one. I mean, come on, that's way too gimmicky. Mm-hmm. That's just ugh, you know. I mean, I get it. I get why you're doing it. I'm I'm. Uh, you know, thank you, Carl Strauss, for for all the stuff you've given us. But come on, that's um, I'm glad it's a limited release. Let's put it that way. My number five beer. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Gets hard quick, doesn't it? It does get hard quick. That's what she said. Sorry, how to do my? Uh... No, yeah. Hey, I mean, it it works. I'm going to put the... 
I'm gonna put the schnickel fritz. You need to put the urine huh. chestnut. Interesting. Uh, it, it really is because of that. Um, because of that, that weird kind of off flavor. I I got it. You didn't get. I should note. Right. But uh, but I got it. So I'm gonna say yeah, the schnickel, the schnickel fritz, and then uh, right above that is gonna be the lightning thunderweizen, which I, you know, it didn't have that uh, that off flavor that I had, but I kind of felt like I didn't really have much else going for it other than that. Then, then it was half fun. It didn't really have too much going. On. So the, my next is going to be the uh, the pinner. Uh, I think that the it's it's it, it's a good it's a good beer. I like it a lot, uh, but the other ones are better for me at least. So my f- second beer is going to then be the Schlorange, the Saranac Chocolate Orange. I I really did like it. I mean, it wasn't really chocolate and orange, but it's a really good Baltic porter. Mm-hmm. With some interesting highlights, and I'm going to put the clusters last stand. The sweaty nose clusters last stand at number one. I I think I really uh, I really like the Valentine style IPA more than I ever you know thought I did. Right. Um, I don't know. Maybe probably Stones. You know, uh, what is uh, drink by is is better, but just barely. Mm-hmm. All right, for me, I'm gonna to have to put Carl Strauss in last place. Uh, yeah, it's just it's not, you know I was hoping they would crack the code on doing a peanut butter chocolate beer. No, it's the same old crap. Not very drinkable. Not very noteworthy. Um, gets a lot harder with the top four. I think I'm gonna put the clusters last stand in fourth place or fifth place, top five, fifth place. I think it's a fine beer. Um, I think the beers above it were... were. Uh, it's really tight. I was going to think about changing it. I mean, it's really tight with the next one. The Lightning's the next one, the Thunder Weizen. Uh I think they're both fine beers. I, I think I'm going to give the Lightning the edge just because of... Um, Because my gut tells me to. Okay. I'm not sure if I'm able to really. Hey, I used my brain last time. I remember it was telling me weird things. So who knows? Right. It's just, I really, I, if, it's kind of a toss up. So my gut says the lightning is over the clusters. Um, make sure these are right. Schnickelfurtz in the third place. I really enjoyed this. This was a good Bavarian style of ice beer. Um, I liked it a lot. I didn't get any of the weird flavors Greg was tasting. I was really at home tasting it. The Pinner, I'm going to put that in second place. I think it had a really bursting hop aroma. I really dug that. And then the flavor was different from the aroma, but still equally enjoyable. And that Baltic Porter that's uh, labeled as a chocolate orange beer, that's a good beer. It's a very good beer. That Baltic Porter is a good beer. So I'm going to put the Saranac Chocolate Orange as my first beer, but with the asterisk by it, not chocolate orange beer, but as a pretty tasty Baltic porter where the chocolate and oranges were kind of inconsequential to the beer. Like the, the winner with both of us is, is the Saranac. I mean, that's the one that both of mm-hmm. us rank the highest. So, yeah. yeah. 
you see that high peaks Saranac chocolate orange. Yeah, I dug it, even though the marketing seems a bit misplaced on it. Um, that's it for Craft Beer Radio. Let's see if we get some music here queued up. Maybe. This is a global tell link. Prepaid call from. I'm not saying. Made at a Maryland Correctional Facility. The story continues here on Craft Beer Radio. Mail, Chimp. We should do that mashup of the mail. Yeah, yeah, but this is this is a mashup with, with Notorious B.I.G. Okay. Alright, I'll, I'll tune that down so we can listen to it. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. You can visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. If you would like to contact us, email is beer at craftbeerradio. Twitter is at craftbeerradio. Individually, I'm at Jeff Bear. At CBR Greg. Uh, those are the preferred methods. I mean, we are on Google Plus and Facebook, but we don't really pay much attention to those. And um, write us that review on iTunes if you really sure like to. Greg's shaking his head. I am too, but I feel dirty right now. We both now. feel dirty. We both feel very, very dirty asking for it. So take that into account when you write your review. <laughs> don't give us five stars. Give us four and a half. Four and a half, yeah. Thank you. And we will uh, do our New Year's Eve show next. Yes, exactly. So pay attention to Twitter and stuff for our New Year's show if you want to join us. Uh, it'll be uh, it'll be a lot of fun. If we don't get a lot of listeners, then we're just going to do a regular show and then do a post show that goes through. But if we get a lot of listeners who want to join us, we're going to do a whole big thing that will just be on the extras feed. I'd love to do it until the sun comes up, but my kids would not no, take it easy on me. All right, thanks everyone.